Welcome back to The Paradigm Project, episode 109. This episode, we're interviewing Adrian Thurgeson, who is on the board for the FIRST Robotics Competition and Education System, as well as FIRST LEGO. And this is going to be a really great episode about STEM and inquiry-based learning. So stick around. It's a good one. Cool. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good intro. Now start, start with your question. Let's get started. Um, yeah. Uh, y- what was your introduction into STEM? So my first introduction to STEM that I recall was when I was probably in about fourth grade. I went to a school science fair. So if you ever wonder if there's value in science fairs, I guess there's a little bit of value because I hadn't had a lot of exposure to science other than my dealings. I love to be outside. I love to deal with the natural world. I was always down with magnifying glasses, looking at bugs and stuff like that when I was little. But I went to this um, STEM fair, and it was just a small one, just put on by students, older students in our school. And it kind of just hit a trigger for me. And I was just, I remember just being fascinated by litmus paper and, um, different things that were just small but simple and I just thought wow this is a cool world and I ended up the next year actually getting enrolled in a class with the teacher that um, led those science fairs and he just opened he had a hands-based learning philosophy that just really opened up the world of science to me. Well that's fantastic. where did you go from there? Because in my experience, like, I was also, you know, as a homeschool kid, looking at bugs with magnifying glass, always sort of curious about the natural world. But I was, I never really saw the correlation from that and that sort of interest in questioning things and hands-on, like, building stuff and experimenting into, like, the job market and into further higher education. So where was that transfer for you? Where did you put your energy into I think that science classes were always my favorite classes in school, and so they are where I put my emphasis and my interest. I can't say that I had, I had a really great um, biology teacher when I was in seventh grade that, again, had hands-on exploration, and that really, that's what I ended up studying um, in school. I think if I had had more hands-on experiences with like engineering or technology or that kind of stuff, I probably would have actually gone that route over biology, but that was where my main emphasis was. And so that's where I put my, my emphasis with my, um, K through 12 education. And that's what I ended up studying in college. What was your, um, what high school did you graduate from? I graduated from Timview high school. And where did you go to college? And I went to college at Brigham Young University. And so your official major is in biology? My official major is in, um, it's in zoology, but it's conservation biology. Okay, fantastic. It's a very important field. Um, What what is it like looking for a STEM job? Because in my research and in my understanding of STEM, and Ava can corroborate this, um, I think, is that um, STEM jobs right now are in a massive need of people to come and work for them. So what was the job market like being in a position to like work anywhere? Or, or was it like that? Could you work anywhere you wanted? 
Was it hard to get a job in a STEM field? What was the progression after college? So my progression after college actually ended up being a homeschool mom. And so I ended up being a science teacher, mom extraordinaire, (laughs) Um, mainly because a lot of people are afraid of STEM topics. And so I, it wasn't really that difficult for me to go and find a STEM job right after college in an entry-level position. And at that time, I would say that it was not nearly as open as it is now. Um, now, with technology and the whole world opened up, it's just, it is, it's absolutely crazy now. And I think at the time that I graduated, it was still, especially in biology, um, it was still like, go a little bit further before you get into um, the actual field that you want to go into. But nowadays, with um, technology merging with biology, it's totally changed the world. That's fantastic. Um, You said, like, STEM topics. um, Sorry. (laughs) STEM topics being kind of difficult or, like, scary to understand or whatever. I was, I was doing some research and like about half of Americans won't pursue STEM because they find it like too difficult or it seems too hard. Why do you think STEM has that like, I guess that idea around it, that feeling of it's just, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to pursue it. I think one of the things that I've noticed is, um, and that we talk about a lot actually um, with science professionals in our state, is that early exposure to STEM is really important. Um, A lot of times we delay that, and so it becomes something that seems like, oh, that's for somebody else. But the younger we're able to um, capture people or get them interested, it doesn't seem so difficult anymore. And a lot of times our educational system focuses too much um, on rote memorization and you know, you need to know these concepts and doesn't give the hands-on exploration. When you have the hands-on exploration, the understanding actually does not become that difficult. It becomes more exciting and engaging and you actually understand. For example, let's say Newton's laws of motion. A lot of times when people are exposed to that, if they don't get hands-on education with it, they are just told, okay, tell me what Newton's laws of motion are and give me some examples. And that can be a little bit intimidating because you're um, bringing up all these different ideas. But if you actually go and do hands-on experiments with them, for example, if you are, if you put a stack of books with little kids and you say, okay, here's a small stack of books and here's a large stack of books. And then you ask them, which stack is gonna be harder to push? They're going to make a guess and they're going to have an idea of what it's going to be. What do you guys think? It's gonna be the bigger stack. It's gonna be the bigger stack. Does it seem so hard that Newton's laws would support that if they're actually going and pushing that bigger stack and then they actually go and try and push it? They're gonna have a better understanding of what Newton's laws are with just that simple experiment. So if, if um, you know, young kids are not getting the exposure to the sciences in STEM in their public schools or in just their schools in general, what can they do to like get involved or where can they go to get involved in STEM? So I think that it's changed a lot. Um, I have worked on with the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of what the name is. There's a parent advisory group for the state with STEM and there have actually been a lot of things that have changed. And kids are getting exposed at younger ages. In fact, from kindergarten through 
12th grade, there are now standards that say, okay, we want inquiry-based education. And so whether schools are able to apply that, it's difficult to apply all the different topics that everyone wants to apply in school, but it's happening more. And so it is happening more. And that's actually one of the goals of the um, first program in Utah is to give that exposure to kids at a younger and younger age. Before we move into talking about the FIRST program, can you explain, for me because I don't know, and also for our listeners, what you would define as inquiry-based learning? Inquiry-based learning is where instead of just saying, okay, these are the things that you need to learn, A, B, C, you're going to have a question. And you're going to say, okay, for example, I brought up the... Um, Newton's laws. You know, you're going to have a question. Um, You might even have, um, in a classroom setting, you might even have stations in an elementary school setting where kids get to go and try a whole bunch of different things before you ever even talk about a topic so that they're having hands-on experiences before and having questions like, what do you think is going to happen when you put a green food coloring in with a blue food coloring? hmm, is it going to change color like when you mix blue and yellow or is it going to do something different? So they get to have hands-on learning um, so that they get to ask a question and then see what really happens. It makes a big difference when you have an inquiry or a question before you actually um, discuss a topic. I think that's super vital. Um, Yeah, it's similar to like the, the Socrates discussion of liberal arts in that like, yeah, we're talking about the questions that we have about the natural world and figuring them out together in this discussion-based scenario like we have at Paradigm. Um, I know for me, at least, when I was like first getting exposed to STEM fields, it was always like, we're going to have a bunch of things written on the board, and then you will copy them down into your notebook, and then at the end of the semester, we will shoot a marshmallow with a spoon catapult. And I was like, this class is terrible. <laughs> it was really like terrible and I did not like it. Um, and I've had even continuing on from that, like I wanted to take chemistry and I've had people, and I've had teachers be like, hey, don't do that. It's gonna be really hard. And like, you know, steer people sort of away from that field. Um, so what are some of the ways that you found to help, you know, change to get people into um, STEM younger and um, talking about first programs and um, explaining the the ways that we can get our kids exposed to STEM younger. Well, first I will just say that um, exposing kids to science when they're young, technology when they're young. I mean, we can all see that the value or what happens with technology with kids when they're young, right? It might even be taking over. So. They're, it's it's interesting, but young kids, they actually love science. And so when they get exposed to different things when they're young, they it's, it's just really fun to see their eyes light up and see the light bulb go on. And that they're like, wow, I didn't know that you could do that. A really cool one is when you put um, soap, a, a piece of ivory soap in the microwave. Oh, that is a great... It is a good one, right? But a lot of times we just stop there and we don't explain what happens. I still don't know. (laughs) So, but it's a great discussion with the density. So there's actually air bubbles that are in that ivory soap. That's why you have to use ivory soap over different soap. Well, you can actually go and an inquiry-based education or, or experiment would be, okay, let's go try other types of soap. Does it do the same thing? 
And then why does ivory soap do that? And then you actually can start doing research, you know, because there's actually explanations. I mean, everything's available now for information on the internet, right? So there are tons of explanations, but you have to have the interest to go and find it out. So when you start with those little experiments and then say, hey, why does that do something? Then that triggers the, hey, um, let me understand it. And then that's when you go and understand the basis behind it. And that's where, instead of rote memorization, it comes in understanding. You're still learning the same things as with rote memorization, but you have understanding that's associated with it. Can you elaborate on the programs that you're currently involved in? So currently, I've been involved with FIRST Robotics for a very long time. That's um, one of my favorite programs to support because it's so, um, it focuses on so many different things. I could go into, it's not just science and technology um, or engineering and math involves all of those, but it's so much broader. It goes into social questions. It goes into so many more things. But um, there are four different levels in the first program. And the first one's junior, first Lego league. And first stands for four, um, inspiration and recognition, recognition of science and technology. But the junior program is for young kids, preschool to about second grade, and they're just starting to experiment with programming, robots, having a problem. Um, they're always introduced to a theme. For example, it could be nature or uh, natural disasters. And so then kids, through this con, through this, um, program are exposed to science in a hands-on way, in a really in-depth way at really young ages. I've seen kids start to learn programming skills when they're four years old. Wow. Um, I don't know if that's the best way, but they also get exposed to topics that are a lot bigger than that. And then the next program is First Lego League. And it depends on where you are in the world. That goes from fourth grade up to um, high school for some areas of the world because they don't have the other availability of the other programs. That's one of my favorite parts of the program and kids are exposed to so much and learn so much and it's just a really fun program. It just takes those concepts of the younger program and starts applying them in bigger ways. And then there's a first tech challenge which is very, um, it's using robots. We say that robots are the hook. They aren't the ultimate goal. Um, they just get kids excited about what they're learning. And then the uh, the other part, the other program is first robotics competition. And that's the big robots that you can see competing. And it's a worldwide competition. So I saw that your, um, when I was doing research, your daughter in 2015 competed in um, a robotics competition where it was an underwater robot that you had to build to go. It was, seriously, it was so cool. They gave the kids the theoretical scenario that um, there was a plane that was scanning Link Powell that went down, and so you had to go down and put on like an oil extraction device to save the lake. Um, but in reality, you went and you had to design a robot that could go down to a pool, open a box, and get stuff out of the box, and then transport it up out of the pool. And I just thought that idea was so cool to like present to kids in like a middle school, early high school age. Um, I, I don't know. It kind of made me sad because I was like, I would have loved to do that, but I never like got the chance. How can more people get involved in such a cool organization? 
So there are so many. So that actually is a different um, program, and there's so many oh, programs oh. out there. That one's Sea Perch, and it was um, through Hill Air Force Base that they sponsor programs for kids. And it was also um, run through Brigham Young University. They're out there everywhere. And the thing that's so cool about it is that there are these higher institutions, these uh, college level universities that are providing these programs for young kids because they know the value that this hands-on learning has and how it applies when they get to college level. And so that's why they're providing these programs. So they're out there, someone just, ha you, all you have to really do is do, hey, STEM programs in my area. Do a search on the internet. There's lots available. Um, so at Paradigm, uh, we focus on inquiry-based learning, um, like in the liberal arts. So in your experience, how, how do liberal arts and STEM like interact with each other? Do they interact well? What's your experience with that? I think that they are, have always been essentially the same thing. The inquiry-based learning, for example, let's bring in Ptolemy and uh, Nicholas Copernicus, right? Ptolemy had this uh, view of the universe where he said it was Earth-centered. And so an Earth-centered view of the universe was something that people supported forever because it said, hey, we are the most important, right? It even extended into all areas of culture and society at the time to such a point that when that idea was questioned, it raised a lot of controversy. So when Nicholas Copernicus said, hey, he questioned that idea and said, no, it's going to be the sun at the center of the universe. He wrote a book. Right? There's classics in every, in every subject. And that was the question, right? That was the great essential question that he asked is, could we be wrong about this Earth-centered view of the universe? Well, because he asked the question, he inspired somebody else to actually go and investigate whether he was right or not. And that's when Galileo came up with his evidences that there really was evidence that we had a sun-centered universe. Now, were they exactly right? No, the inquiry kept going on. The great discussion of ideas keeps going on even today because we don't have a full understanding of the universe. But they did find out, Galileo did find out that the center of um, our solar system was the sun and not the earth. So with, with you know, like a liberal, liberal arts-based education, like you do learn these like Ptolemy and Copernicus and like Darwin and his all his books. And, um, but do you think it lacks any aspects of STEM that like it needs it needs to incorporate to be more effective? Can I add on to your question? Do you feel like STEM should include more art? So I've heard a lot of people say STEM and a lot of people say STEAM. So to go on Ava's question, do you think STEM is missing an arts component or a liberal arts component? I think that STEAM is a more accurate um, definition of what actually is happening in our world today. Um, for example, if you go and you look at biotechnology, um, you'll see that, for example, origami is being used to create um, medical devices that can fit inside of a body. So I think that STEAM is actually the more accurate um, description of 
of our world today than just a STEM-based education. And a lot of that you can see comes through having um, engineers work with um, industrial design or industrial designers so that its form and function fit together um, and incorporating creativity into the engineering and technology process. How can, so like, it would seem that we have this society that um, sort of, we don't have enough of these people who can make creative technological advancements that you were talking about, right? Like, um, I wouldn't have thought to put origami into a medical device, but when you say it like that, it makes perfect sense. Um, and it seems like there's not enough people that like have these tools. Why, I mean like, I guess for the discussion question would be like, why is there a shortage of STEM peoples? <laughs> I don't know, STEM people. <laughs> I, I think that probably what it goes back to, um, I, I don't know that there's, definitely I just think that the area is expanding so rapidly that when you look at, for example, the percentage of people that go into careers, it's grown, the field has grown at such an exponential rate that you're trying to fill that. It's kind of like raising a number without having the people interest number raised at the same rate. So I don't know that it's the shortage as much as the opportunity has just expanded beyond belief. Everything, for example, everything now requires coding. Coding is required for every single thing that we do because computers are so valuable in our lives. They're used even in our uh, garbage systems, in our, they're used in everything. And so we need coders for everything now. Whereas before it was, okay, we have a particular um, application that we need. It's, we're sending a space shuttle up to space. So we need to have somebody that can help us with that problem. Well, now it's just opened up the whole world to everything with specifically with coding and technology that way. So there is a shortage of people that are coding just for that simple fact. But I think that maybe it goes back to that thing that we talked about before is do people feel limited because they haven't had the exposure or they just feel like they're not equipped. And I think that we're trying to tackle that now with all the programs that are out there. And it's probably with kids that are maybe a little bit younger than you that that has really taken grip because it's really started in the last 10 years that we've started focusing more and more on younger kids. Is there anything I can do as not a young kid to get involved in STEM? You can get involved right now. Um, anytime that you want to go and do inquiry in your with your just an interest really is all it takes. It doesn't take, the only thing that happens at a younger age is that there's the interest. It doesn't mean that they have a major advantage um, in their education. It just means that the interest has been there longer. So all it takes really is interest. If you have interest, the sky is the limit. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like as a toddler, like you're a scientist about everything. Every single thing is like a new thing that you get to be curious about. Like if I touch this, will it burn me? Probably it's a stove, but like, who knows? And yeah, that's sort of like innate curiosity about things. I could definitely see driving things. As a toddler, you're going around and every single thing is a new. 
thing. You're like, oh, is this a bug or a food? I don't know. I'm going to put it in my mouth and find out. Is this stove hot? Well, it's red. Does that mean it's hot? Yes, it does. Ouch. And it's, I feel like that innate curiosity that little kids have that make it perfect to introduce them to science first. Um, in my sort of homeschool education, we took a step back from like, because um, when you go to like public school, you learn every single subject at once. You have a math class and a science class and an English class and like you start at level one and move up. And we were reading stuff that was like, hey, it's sometimes really hard for young kids to learn math right away. Maybe don't force them to learn math right away. And taking a different approach to that. Um, and I feel like as far as like what um, fields we could get people interested in, it seems like, you know, you could get people interested in STEAM way earlier than you could get them interested in almost anything else. I think that maybe a, maybe a better way to even look at it is that we don't have subjects, right? We've divided everything, even from a young age, into math, science, uh, history, language arts, and we don't combine them, when actually they're all really combined. That's why when it says, you know, is science, should it be a liberal arts? Everything should be. I mean, inquiry-based learning should be happening in everything. I think you guys have encountered that at Paradigm when you have discussions about things that's, hey, it's not all set in stone. We're taking what we've already learned and we're expanding upon it, right? So if you're studying history in the context of literature and art, they all go right together. Science is right there too. What if you did a timeline and said, hey, why do all of these things affect each other? Why were people asking questions? Why was Leonardo da Vinci drawing? Why was he this amazing artist and also drawing these scientific contraptions that were way ahead of his time? It's because he didn't separate things out into different categories. He looked at it as one great whole. And when we look at things as one great whole, then we're able to incorporate all of it into our ideas. Okay. Two things. One, do we need to turn off the AC? No, we're fine. It's easy to remove. Okay. Second, can we title the episode STEM Education, The One Great Hole, or something along the lines? Because that is fantastic. We STEAM. STEAM Education and The One Great Hole? No. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was, that was really, that was really good. Fantastic. We'll get a soundbite out of that. That's the Insta post. Uh, Ava, you want to hop in with the discussion? Because we are, yeah. I wanted to make sure that you, you were like over there being quiet. I, I know with my experience with STEM, um, so my sister right now, she's studying um, to be an industrial hygienist. She's actually doing an internship right now in St. Louis. And her world is so foreign to me. Because <laughs> like she'll, I'll be talking to her and she's like, oh yeah, I have to do like this 15 minute presentation on these statistics and the levels of some dangerous chemical, it, it just, it's so intimidating. Um, and what scared me is I've, I've had such a liberal arts approach. Like I love studying like the history, like you were saying, like Darwin, like I may not be a fan of Darwin or his ideas, but it's really interesting because I get this philosophy and science-based like context. But my question is, or my feelings is that like, I have these understandings of philosophies but I, I can't seem to translate them to actual, like, what a STEM reality is for some some career paths, like my sister's, where it's all level-based and, you know, she has to memorize facts on, like, levels of chemicals or how to test them or whatever. And so 
I, it's just all intimidating to me and I don't know what to do about it, I guess. I think that's where the interest comes in, right? Is when you've had the experience and you know that there's explanations and that there are things that you can understand, that that's when you ask the questions and say, hey, there are some tools out there that if I do master them, then I can explain things at a greater level. So industrial hygiene is, my husband actually teaches in industrial hygiene. He's an industrial hygienist. And so a lot of people have no idea what that even is, right? Do you want to tell me? Because I'm one So of an industrial I- hygienist is somebody that's um, concerned with occupational safety and health. So they're, they're doing a lot of things. They're dealing with sound levels and how that affects people. They're trying to keep people, um, they study things so that they can keep people safe in the workplace. A lot of times you'll hear OSHA, which seems like a bad word, but there's so much interesting science behind that. Like, why do we make the decisions? And it's a great exchange of ideas, right? We only have to look so far as the mask mandates and the arguments on both sides to understand that this isn't like uh, in a vacuum uh, topic. There's both sides, and that's what a scientist does, is goes and researches both sides and makes their best argument, just like you do in philosophy or um, any other liberal arts type of conversation, is you have to have ideas to back up what your opinion is, but you better get an opinion first, and the only way you're going to get an opinion is to go and find that information that you're sister has found, right? Because it's interesting to her. And that's where it comes in is why is it interesting to her? Is something that she's spent some time with. Is she's um, had a little bit of a passion about it. And there's so many topics in science that, you know, that's one field of science. What could your passion be in science? Could it be biology-based? Could it be the art component Um, integration base. There's just so many different things that we can include and it takes asking a question, you know, what am I interested in? Hey, it's kind of cool. I know that I can do something. It's not too hard if I have the interest and the, um, the ideas to go and experiment and see what I like. But she has, she has included that because she spent a lot of time with it. It also takes a lot of time. I think that you guys have probably heard of the 10,000 hour rule. So whatever you put your time into, that's what you're going to know and what you're going to master. So you do have to have a passion for it, but it's up to you to develop that passion. And if you have an interest, explore it. So this year I took Mr. Ellsworth's philosophy class and we studied different philosophers and their philosophies and we read the books that they wrote and put it in context of the time period and we studied the four main like philosophical schools of thought. And then we had an ethics bowl, which was totally foreign to me, which is um, a competition where two sides come together and work as one to find the most ethical solution to a problem. Um, So I always did debate, and I was a little bit confused about, you know, working with my opponents, but um, you would be proposed with a solution, and then all of your philosophy tools and your educational toolbox would come into play, and you would use them to solve this problem in the most ethical way. And it seems that that's a lot of what you're talking about in STEM and STEAM education. So um, do you think that we can implement that into high schoolers by doing a similar thing? Like if we studied science in the same way that we study philosophy, 
would that be an effective education in your opinion? So I think it's the best education. And in fact, the best educational experiences that I've had with um, mentoring young people is first robotics is one, but Sea Perch, all of these other things that we've done. But I'll just give you an example of first robotics competition and what they do. Students are given a problem, right? They launch it on a Saturday and kids show up and the commitment that those kids have to put in for the next two months is they go to school all day and then the kids that were on my team, when I uh, mentored a team, they had to travel an hour to get to our location where we um, were building the robot and they had to build from scratch. They had to come up with the ideas. They had to say, okay, what, first of all, what do we need to do? Um, how can we design something to do that? What can we use that's in our budget? How can we raise money to do that? And then for two months, they spend hours, literally like a full-time job after school, because it's interesting, right? It's, it's got this component. And what they learn through the process is they learn how to use hand tools. They use, learn how to, for example, my daughter, she learned she became the machinist on their team. She spent a lot of time machining. People don't learn machining until usually they're much older. So she learned how to make parts for a robot from scratch. Um, she get a piece of um, uh, just a tube of plastic and she would have to make parts to go on the robot. And she did that over and over again. And what happens is you become better and better at it. And you realize that you're gonna fail a lot. In fact, they fail a lot more than they ever succeed. But through those failures, they learn how to succeed. And that's what I think with any education, if you spend enough time with it and you are willing to fail and you're willing to discuss things a lot, all of a sudden at the end, you have this creation that does things. And even that creation can fail and then guess what? It's still part of the inquiry-based learning. The kids at the competition might feel like they're failing, but actually what they're doing is they're going and they're learning more because they're going and saying, okay, how do I fix this? And so then they're doing more exploration learning. And that's the whole goal. The goal isn't for their robot to be number one. Their goal is to learn. And with any type of learning, if we, um, so you brought up speech and debate. I've seen that also work the same way, right? You have a competition-based learning. Sometimes that competition is good for some people. For some, it's not. But when you have that goal, I've seen kids put in a ton of effort into speech and debate because they know if they go in and they don't know their stuff, they're, they're not going to make a very good showing, right? <laughs> and it's, I've, I've actually seen kids wake up and say, I am so excited. This is like Christmas for me because they get to go to a debate competition, right? When you put in that much time and effort into something, you're excited about it. So when you have a problem and you have a goal with any type of learning, and it could be a senior thesis, you know, is my senior thesis going to be worthy to something that I want to show? Is it something that I want to put out there for other people to read and to maybe send to the state legislature because it talks about education or um, put in a magazine because it has interesting new ideas. Um, when you put that much time and effort into something, then you become closer to that 10,000 hour rule, right? Where you've put in the time and effort where you can actually say, hey, I, I actually have some, some value and some knowledge about this topic that I can probably provide for other people that don't. Yeah. That is fantastic. 
Um, do you want to do you want to talk about the uh, fun STEM experiences? What time are we at? Thirty-seven and a half minutes. Wow. That flew. We probably got about, I'd say, cutting all the little bits and the, the silences. We got about 30 minutes in there. So I'd say just um, maybe a couple more thoughts about, like, you know, what you think? Sorry, you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just, it was very <laughs> dense. I was like, this is yeah, awesome, but. Um, I think spending a little bit more time on this idea of art and STEM and science as being art. What we have so far, that's one of the more beautiful things that we have less about. So there's a little time talking about that and like, um, I know you had a couple of really great examples, uh, but even, you know, you're into art, so we bring that in. Um, and looking at why, like, if we are going to switch to steam, let's let's make that a bit more emphasized in the podcast. Okay. Why are we not switching to steam? That was my question. What do people have against the idea of steam? Well, I would say that art feels different than like other forms of the. Okay, so if you say science, technology, engineering, math, art one of those things feels not like the other one, right? I'm not sure how, because right. to be an engineer, you're usually using science, technology, engineering, and math. Is it just that art, well, I guess, when you think of art, you know, you think of drawings, paintings, etc., which don't necessarily seem, and don't kill me for saying this, but as useful yeah. as engineers or scientists, but what is the art we're actually talking about here? Not just people who create art for a living. Are we talking about like, like again, the liberal arts, like books and reading or, or, um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Well, I mean, there's practical art, right? Like there is a practicality, right? If you put someone in a box, unless they're a very, very specific type of person, unless the box is kind of nice to look at, they're gonna wanna not be in the box. And so if you make art, the world becomes more livable. We can, when we arrange our hierarchy of needs, like in Maslow's pyramid, we see that art does not fall near the base of the pyramid, but it is still very important to like overall human behavior and human health. And so I'd say like, if you are a civic planner, someone who's gonna be using science, technology, engineering, and math, someone who went into a STEM field to, to, to study those things, one of the things that should be on your mind is how can we make this city a work of art? How can we make it beautiful to be here and interesting and lovely? And it seems like art is part of the big whole, right? Like science, and, and I think it has a lot to do with our definition of art because if you think of art like a painting, I think of art as something that evokes emotion. Any emotion, if it is a thing that has been made to evoke emotion, it can be art. And so if you think of that, like, where's the emotional aspect of science, technology, engineering, and math? And the art is what sort of sells that, I would say, in my opinion. But what, what do you think about that, Ms. Thurgison? 
Um, I think that maybe our society is what is thinks there's a limit on the STEAM component instead of just STEM. But I think if you actually go into businesses or um, that are with new technolo technological um, companies, I think that the art component is very much a part of it. Um, there are the user experience realm of employment in technological fields and STEM fields has become so important. I have a brother that he's a user design experience um, manager and that's a huge component of everything. I mean, if you look at my iPhone here, people will say, okay, there's been a lot of thought put into this about why do people want an iPhone over some other, they have lots of options, right? Why would you want, why would you want a Samsung? I mean, people have different things be based on design and the art of an object. I know I was, that- uh, Sorry, I oh, was watching the um, Apple developers conference today um, during my research and basically the entire portion that I watched was just going over the new user interface for the new iOS updates. and. All of it was just things to make an iPhone a more beautiful thing to like interact with and a, a more beautiful thing to have um, and to sell the science technology that's gone into it. And so I, I just wanted to you know add on to that, that that is absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, there are so many, so many fields that are integrating now. Um, my daughter, she's wanting to go into industrial design and Truthfully, you don't have to have a lot of um, like math or engineering skills to go into industrial design, but you work very closely with, you. it's still a part of the engineering department, right, at schools. And because those industrial designers are very critical in creating a final project, um, I have a son that's an engineer, and right now he's getting ready to do a prototype of a project. And that, in order to do that prototype, they've had to talk a lot with the industrial designers about, okay, what's going to make people want this? What's going to make people, that actually it's an art creating tool, um, want this to help them in their artistic creativity? And so I, I think that STEAM is more in there than we realize, I mean, even in the going back to the origami concept of um, medical devices. People are just using so much more of their creativity and that's a more valued um, part in, in um, STEM fields than we realize. Um, in fact, when going in for interviews, the bigger questions are can you problem solve and how creative can you be to solve those problems? They aren't necessarily wanting to know, can you do this scientific formula or can you, um, can you recite you know, these scientific um, components? They're wanting to know, can you problem solve and use the information that you've gathered to do something new and out of the box? Absolutely. I was reading a book um, called, uh, I think it's called, Are You Smart Enough to Work at Google? Um, and it is a lot of the interview questions that they use, and they are all like these, like, there are 15 semi-trucks. They hold a total of 100 gallons of gas. 
each of them has 15 gallons of gas, how do you go the furthest? And there's, there's always some weird answer that is about that problem solving capability where they're just trying to target your creativity and how, how do you know how to think, not have you been taught what to think? And I think that is, that is so powerful in the difference in education. Definitely. In fact, I have my brother who works in user design experience, um, designing um, interfaces for like uh, internet interfaces for companies to work with. He, the number one, he's like, where you went to school doesn't really matter to me because so many people coming out of college don't have that uh, problem solving creativity component. And so he's very art focused because he's learned how to solve problems using design. And I think going back to that evoking emotion component, I mean, I have my youngest son is obsessed with cars, right? And in fact, I don't think he ever really realized how much he liked and enjoyed art. Like when I would say, hey, do you want to take an art class? Because all my other kids did. I thought, hey, it's part of being well-rounded. He's like, meh, I don't really want to do it. But if you look at the cars that he draws and the designs that he comes up with and how he feels about talking about cars there on the road, um, that's very much an engineering mindset. And he does it with bridges too. And what he draws and what he creates, he doesn't think that he's into engineering or art, but I look at what he does and there's definitely that passion and that interest there. And it might just come a little bit later. That's so cool. This is great. This has helped me like open my idea of science and STEM and STEAM because I always just, you know, assumed like what everybody thinks. It's just, you know, scientists that work in labs with chemicals and stuff, but it's, it's really anything. You just need to apply yourself to it. Um, is your son teaching here at Paradigm next year? He's not. He's, he's a full-time engineer now. Is Jacob Thurgison a different person, not at all related? No, he's related. So he taught. He taught here. Um, he taught here this year. Oh, I see. I and see. now he's he's working full time as an engineer. Cool. Uh, if you could teach any class at Paradigm, what would it be called, and what would the content be? I think that there needs to be more merging of of all topics. And the coolest thing about Paradigm compared to other high schools or middle schools that I know is that they already do combine a lot, right? History is your literature. Um, your study of philosophy is integrated into government. And that's what makes it rich and real, right? That needs to happen a little bit more with science and math and understanding, like, the history of mathematics. Like, I know that that happens a little bit, but when you combine it in even a little bit more, understanding those topics even a little bit deeper, it just adds to the richness of it. And so I think that maybe it would be a science history class where you're actually learning things in the context of a historical context and then applying the new ideas that come with it. Like, why do we have, why can we build from these old that ideas? That is so cool. Next year, we actually have a science and history class called the Cold War. And it's going to be talking about, like, like the science and the gadgets of the Cold War and, like, That's all so the cool. stuff that happened in a historical context. And I totally agree with what you said about math. And 
bring it in from that. Um, my math teacher had us write a paper about a mathematician and a bunch of kids, you know, rolled their eyes about it. But I wrote mine on Pythagoras and I was able to f- way more understand both the history of why the things happened in Pythagoras's life that they did and also what made his math so important. And like I came away with not just, oh, I've read this thing and now I wrote a paper on it and I'm done, but I have a much deeper understanding of why algebra matters and why it was so important to Pythagoras that he devoted his life to it and why he was willing to kill for it and like why it was so important and uh, a much better understanding of the whole coming away from it. Wasn't Pythagoras the one who was scared of beans? He did. He died. He died because he wouldn't cross he, a bean field? He died because he wouldn't cross a bean field. That is, as far as I know, completely true. That's so cool. No, it makes a lot of sense because even like studying any topic, and having an understanding of understanding of the origin gives a lot of insight. Um, I think that's just a truth at, with any topic, and so I think, I think that'd be a, a great class to take. So every episode, we ask our guests to either give us a takeaway or a challenge um, from the episode. If you could challenge our listeners to anything, what would it be? To not be afraid of science because you live it every day, and to find your passion. Find something that you're interested in and delve a little deeper and ask a question about it. That's so good. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, um, the takeaway from today is that science is not guys and gals in lab coats mixing green chemicals, but it's the great whole that we are living and you are a part of it and you have a chance to contribute to it. So go do what Ms. Thurgerson said, find your passion, go be a part of it, and don't forget to keep engaging in the great conversation. Follow us at The Paradigm Pod on Instagram. If you have any comments, suggestions, or anything, or you just want to contact us, you can email us at podcast at paradigmhigh.org. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us and... Leave a nice message to make leave, us feel yeah, better. Leave a comment or share us or whatever. Do anything you can to boost our algorithm. <laughs> boost that interaction. Boost it. Next episode, we'll be talking to David Crowley about the Bill of Rights and what that means to us as a citizen. Thanks so much for listening.